This is from Justin McCain, a podcast where Mike Robertson and Bob LaRue watch one critically acclaimed film and one terrible film and talk about how they are the same. Hello. So for the part two of our Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Ready Player One episode, we have a special treat for you, our loyal canines. We wanted to take a moment just in the middle of our normal programming to, to show you a conversation we had with a, a friend of Mike's and now a friend of mine, I hope. David, I hope you like me. Um, his name is David Barry. He's an author and a thinker, and he has a book called On Nostalgia, and he had a lot to say about uh, Ready Player One and the idea of nostalgia and its place in art. Um, so have a listen to this conversation. So, um, Well, we should introduce uh, David Barry and why he's here. Yes. Um, so this is, yeah, this is David Barry. He's a published author. Who wrote the book on nostalgia that I, anything else you'd like to add David about your bio? Uh, that is totally true. I've been like a critic for a while, like 10, 15 years. So, you know, I never actually reviewed ready player one in any like thing, but you know, uh, I have, I have seen it and I have hated it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Before we get into it, can I ask why, what about nostalgia fascinates you? Basically, because I was like a, a, a film, mostly a film critic, but all kinds of critic for a while, like nostalgia kept coming up in two really specific ways. It was either like uh, everyone complaining about how like, oh, another Star Wars movie. They're just, you know, cashing in on everyone's nostalgia and this is terrible and everyone is dumb for buying this every single time. And then the other time it would come up is like in works of art where it was always this like incredibly powerful like you know, there's, there's a lot of books and movies that are about nostalgia in a, in a serious way. And it's usually like something deep and meaningful and, you know, d- meaningful enough for someone to make like a two hour movie about it. Mm-hmm. Usually like ponderous and Polish or something. Right. So it's like, Oh, I was going to say for, for this re- episode that we're having you on, uh, the two movies we covered for our podcast is was ready player one and portrait of a lady on fire. So it's about art in various incarnations. Like th- that movie is about a, a painting. Mm-hmm. About and getting a portrait done. Yeah. Have you seen the film? I have seen it. It's deeply, yeah, you know, very romantic. Quite the yeah. pairing. I, I'm always impressed by your guys' pairings. So It's like a fine wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, basically to go back to nostalgia, I, I found it like really weird that like those, that was the two reactions everyone always had to nostalgia. Either like very deep and meaningful or just like the dumbest, crassest bullshit that we need to get rid of. And so it was something about that like weird tension. And I think what I realized is that in both of those instances, it kind of like shuts off our brain a bit, you know, like uh-huh. it's either, it's something we just have this reaction to and we either like live in and sort of get swallowed by, or just like disregard entirely. Usually when it's someone else's nostalgia, we just like, we think it is nonsense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, it seemed like something worth trying to think about a little harder for a while. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, well, maybe, like, I, I just discovered who you were today, David, so I apologize. I'm not as well-read as Mike is on your work, but I read um, 
an article you wrote that I think is an excerpt from the book. It was adapted. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about like the root of the word nostalgia and where it came from historically and then how it's like transformed into what we know it as today, which is something that's like very much prominent in our pop culture. But it started out as like a, a medical condition, correct? Yeah. Or like it was I, deemed as one and it was yes. for homesickness, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like nostalgia is two Greek words, nostosanalgia, which basically means homesickness uh, mm-hmm. or longing for home. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it was a 17th century, a Swiss physician. There was a lot of like Swiss mercenaries and servants and things like that who went out and they got this, like, he thought he noticed this debilitating, um, illness in them where they just, they wanted to go home and they couldn't do anything until they were allowed to go home again. And it actually became like a weird, uh, like trait of the Swiss for a while, for some reason, Mm. People thought of it. The the German word for nostalgia for a while was like Schweizerwarnkrankheit, which is like the Swiss illness. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but it yeah, wasn't yeah. just the Swiss getting homesick, I assume. <laughs> or is <laughs> that is that it? unknown? Maybe it was just the Swiss. I heard Switzerland is a great place, so I can see why they would be nostalgic for it. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I was just going to say that was actually part of why, like. Um, the reason like Switzerland is still thought of as like this, like, you know, place to go for like spas and sanatoriums and stuff like that is partly due to this. Cause like the Swiss tried to be like, look, the reason we're all so sad when we're not in Switzerland is cause Switzerland is like, it's the most healthful, wonderful place. Like anyone who, who leaves there just gets debilitated by how shitty and ugly everywhere else is. So like, yeah, come to wow. Switzerland. Yeah. And then it morphed from that right into like uh, sort of its current um, iteration. But but that happened in the mid 20th century, right? Where it stopped being so much about homesickness and it became more about moments or about times in your life. Yeah. Instead sort of, of a yeah. geographical so it, thing. Yeah. Basically, like kind of the end of the 19th, beginning of the early 20th century, people stopped really considering it a disease, mostly because like no one could cure it and no one knew what to do with it. So they gave up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then basically as, well, we had the word homesickness for a while, which described homesickness, but as like <laughs> <laughs> home became less of like a physical place, right. homesickness kind of just didn't really capture what we were actually trying to, uh, convey really. So nostalgia kind of like wormed its way in basically in the fifties and sixties is when it started to become like a popular term outside of like more specialist books. And then in the 70s, there was like a huge nostalgia boom, things calling themselves nostalgia magazines and shit like that. And then basically from then on, it just became part of our culture to the point where, yeah, no one really thinks about it as weird anymore. Mm. The seven, in terms of movies, um, uh, in the 70s was like the time of George Lucas kind of coming to the forefront and like altering the way that movies are seen in terms of like blockbusters becoming really huge in the Mm seventies. And then also uh, he, you know, his first big hit was American graffiti, which was like a nostalgia bomb uh, for like calling back to the fifties. And then star Wars was just like a regurgitation of his old serials, like the old star uh, space serials and stuff. So yeah, it seems like the seventies was kind of, a, a good turning point. And then I guess, you know, Reagan being elected shortly after, I'm sure has some sort of <laughs> well, he connection was, as well. He was like a nostalgic decision in a way because it, he was such a like suave 1930s leading man. And then he yeah, became yeah. the president of the United States. People are just really nostalgic for Bedtime for Bonzo, like monkey <laughs> companion films. 
Uh, are we all, but they, got, they got they got something much worse. <laughs> I guess similar to how we were all nostalgic for the uh, the Apprentice, and now look at us. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, believe shit. his first running mate was a chimpanzee, and then yeah. you know, <laughs> George H. W. Bush. Yeah. Um, so while well, with Ready Player One, like in your mind, is that film for me? It really feels like just a movie that's entirely built on nostalgia. Like the, the artistic merit, if it has, well, it has some, I suppose it's very creative in how it reuses what we remember from pop culture. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't know, like, what are you, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, is it, is it creatively noble to be like, I want to, uh, like shine a light on everything we've ever experienced in the last 30 years in the like video game world, the movie world and the television world and like condense it into a novel and then have that turn into a movie. <laughs> Is there a world where that works? Well, I think like in a weird way, ready player one is just kind of like a concentrated version of what makes shitty art, you know? Cause like all art is kind of reference, right? Like, yes. Everything you do is referencing something, but like most of the time you kind of hide the scenes or at the very least, like even like someone like Tarantino, who's obviously like deeply referential is usually like being mildly obscure. Like it feels Mm -hmm. like not that obscurity is like a measure of quality or anything, but just like the things come from a place where it's just like, holy shit, like this guy has watched every movie that's been made from 1960 on kind of thing. And mm-hmm. he's picking up on some like weird background thing, you know, that and like working it in. Whereas like the problem with ready player one, the reason why it seems so obviously nostalgic, I think is that all the references are just like what you would get if you, you know, flip through a copy of rolling stone or either you know, just like if you picked up the front page of an entertainment section for the biggest newspaper in the country, for 30 years that's like those are the references there is nothing weird or arcane even the like nerd culture things are the most obvious like i don't even feel like i don't feel like i'm a nerd in the way that ready player one likes nerdery mm-hmm. and i knew all of the shit that they were talking about you know like and like that that i think is what really makes it like it there's this deeply ironic thing that it's about this place where you can go where like the sky is the limit. And the only thing anyone can do is like live in 1980s pop culture. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, well, it's so perfect. Well, but the, yeah, the, I think the story or the concept is fundamentally flawed because like the character would have to cast uh, their obsession with all of these pop culture properties aside in order to like change as like a character, like the character arc would, would mean that they would end up in a different place, but they end up celebrating it just as much by the end. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, they're just like, oh, I'm gonna. We're, the world isn't saved. We're still in this kind of dystopia, but now there's more. We can just be in pop culture, and this corporation isn't in charge of all of this corporate ele- intellectual property. I guess is like the story, which is kind of nonsense. <laughs> would, right, would yeah, especially film, coming from a blockbuster movie. But yeah. If it, yeah, if it came out a hundred years from today, and it was the exact same film that it is, but that's when it was released, would it be good? Like, is time the issue or or is it just a poorly, like, would it just not work? I, that's a, that's an interesting question. Well, because, like, at least then, if, or even if, like, say, yeah, it came out in 2018, but all the references were to, like, late Victorian drama, I, it might still feel like, you know, uh, a little weird or something, but it would at least seem like 
clever, right? Like you weren't just like hoovering up the refuse of consumer culture. And wow, like what a phrase. Into, Holy shit. Yeah. Like, I love that. That's why yeah. you get paid the big bucks to white, white the words. <laughs> that's why you're a big get. Yeah, that's why you're a big get because you speak in good ways. <laughs> what did you say before the Zoom call, Mike? You said he says it good or he writes I, I it good. He's, I think I puts think the he said the same joke. He says words good. Yeah. Because, yeah. Because yeah, we, we, we were just, we, yeah, we were just marveling over the, like the, the quality of the words, I guess. <laughs> just how, <laughs> how, how eloquent it, it, it read and how, uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, impenetrable, but it still seemed. Yeah. See, so yeah, this is when you're trying to talk about words, you just kind of <laughs> just uh, end up just sounding like a dumb dumb. It was approachably intellectual. Yes. I oh, thought wow. Thank it was you. very like grounded and, and consumable. Yet I felt smart afterwards. You, did, you said it in two words, Bob, where I couldn't even get it in like 10. So that's why we're <laughs> nice. a good team. That's why we're a good team. That's Mike. right. Um, go. Okay. Well, in, in, in interesting. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask, this isn't so much about the film, but like nostalgia. Is there something debilitating about nostalgia? Because if the article I read sort of like alluded to that people are craving it now. It's something they're longing for in media and what they consume. But if you're only looking back and reconsuming what you've already experienced or dealt with, doesn't that sort of like, boy, this is going to get existential, but that, doesn't that just like lock you in the same place, whether it's creatively or like in your life, if you're just constantly looking back at that thing you once did or had and you're yeah. longing for that again. I think like, I think so for sure. And nostalgia is kind of this like extra trap because if you go deep enough into it, it becomes its own essential fantasy world. Right. Like, mm -hmm. which is kind of another reason why ready player one works so well. Cause it's like, you know, like this is someone's nostalgia, like turned into a literal fantasy world basically. But so like the, the problem is though too, is that it becomes a fantasy world that has this weird sheen of historical accuracy or legitimacy to it. Right. And so it's like, you can tell yourself that you're not actually completely divorced from reality in any way because, Oh, well, these things happen. They actually happen to me or something like that. And so like, like, I think for the most part, most people's nostalgia is relatively fleeting and is like a pretty good and important thing for like, you know, we feel shitty. We think about a time when we felt good and we feel good again and it helps us move on. But like, definitely if you miss that step of like actually using what you're thinking about to try to improve your situation, then yeah, you just get caught in this death spiral. And I think you're like, yeah, exactly right. And like, that's where these kind of complaints about say corporate nostalgic culture where, you know, it's just like, we just have a new star Wars movie every year. It feels like, like, I don't know if it's actually true. We might, they might be a billion dollar industry till like 150 years past where us being dead, but like, it feels like they've just like sort of ran out of ideas and are just like rehashing whatever the hell they think will buy because they, yeah, like they can't move forward. They can't mm -hmm. make a fun space opera movie unless it's got star Wars. Like, yeah. On the topic of what Bob and you guys were talking, cause I was just sitting here listening to your sultry tones of your voice. Yeah. Yeah. Just the modern concept of adulting is a thing where mm -hmm. people like the, the millennials, I guess are rewarding themselves for 
acting like their parents would have wanted them to act like probably 15 years prior to that, you know? (laughs) We're so bombarded with the culture of our youth that we kind of feel like we can still live as children in adult bodies. Mm -hmm. So for sure, when we, when we're forced with adult responsibilities and it's like, we're like, Oh, we're an adult now. I've transitioned even though I'm 37 or whatever. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I think there's kind of two weird, like twin things going on there. Again, both of which oddly speak to ready player one, which like, well, a terrible movie is such a rich text for this shit. It's amazing. I love how <laughs> cohesive you're keeping this interview. Though. Yeah, I keep Very derailing good. it and getting existential, and you're like, "Yeah, but Ready Player One." But anyway, to bring right? it back to you, yeah, <laughs> you're doing our job for us. Thank you. <laughs> what a get! What a get! Um, but it, so it's like, like part of what's going on there is that, like, uh, you know, modern life is deeply alienating, and I think you could argue, like, especially for millennials, like you don't need to rehash all this shit about how like, Oh, they, they, you know, come into a recession and now a pandemic and all this shit. And like, you know, uh, they don't, the, the kind of adulthood that their parents present to them as obvious, just like, hasn't seemed to be in any way accessible to us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like nostalgia, since it stopped being a disease has kind of been thought of as like the ultimate response to the alienation of modern life, basically. Right. It's like, modern life separates us from ourselves. So like we get, we fall back to the past to try to regain this sense of humanity. Um, But then the flip side to that too, is like our childhoods are accessible to us in a way that like possibly no other generations were like, uh, you know, like even, even seeing a movie, like when I was born in the mid eighties, if you wanted to see a movie a second time, you hopefully the theater was showing it again. And maybe yeah. you had like a laser disc or a VHS player, maybe. But like even those were kind of like widespread a little later. The VHSs came out like uh, like a year or two later sometimes, which was wild to think about because now it's like they release movies on demand the same day that it comes out in the theater a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. I can watch a movie on my phone whenever I want now forever, right? Like, and so and like even with like digital things, but even like physical copies of things like. Uh, if my grandmother wanted to see the doll she had when she was a kid, like hopefully she kept it or maybe she could have like made another shitty one from like whatever spare parts that her grandmother made the doll from. But like, you know, if I want the GI Joe that I played with when I was seven, maybe I can't get the same one, but I can get one that was like made in the same plastic mold or something. Right. Like it's just like our, and like our personal histories are around us in a way that they've, I don't think any other generation has ever experienced. And that Mm -hmm. kind of feels like, yeah, of course we're going to be children. Like no one has ever, no one has ever forced us to give it up in a way that anyone else did, you know? Would you say that it is still a sickness then? (laughs) In that, in that regards, because like, I'm skeptical of, of like overly nostalgic stuff where, yeah, I, I don't like how the movies these days are all just things like they announced some animation block on TV that was just all cartoons from the nineties. I think Beavis and Butthead's coming back, Rin and Stimpy maybe. Yeah. yeah, uh, right, Something right, right. else. And so it's like, ah, this is terrible. Like they're not going to be as good as we remember them being, but then also it's why, why even bother? Can I throw a theory out there? Please. What is it possible that with pop culture, specifically like younger generations, 
most of a childhood was consumed by pop culture as like your memories. Like you spent time like playing video games. You spent time, uh, I don't know, digging bands, watching TV, watching movies, doing all this shit. You had posters on the walls. Your parents didn't have posters on their walls. They didn't have the same things um, mm-hmm. to occupy their childhood. But I also feel like there's an expiration date on pop culture that's getting shorter. So like, Maybe this is just a real wild stab in the dark, but like I people people are still reading Charles Dickens or like Herman Melville or like, you know, old old fucking books. But <laughs> I, I feel like there's an exhaustion or like an expiration date to um the things that happen later, and that's why they're like being re-released or reinvented. It's to like maintain this relevancy or something. I don't know. Mm. I just I think like there's a shelf life on Star Wars that there isn't on Moby Dick. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, but like I wonder about that though because or is like, that true? I, I don't know. Well, that like that that like goes to your point before about like if you know Ready Player One was released a hundred years from now, right? Like, would it seem like an incredible work of art? And there is like the the weird truth of it is, I think it just depends on what survives, right? Like, yeah, there are all kinds of. Uh, crazy things that were like huge in whenever the twenties or thirties or whatever that no one gives a shit about today because you know, like now we actually appreciate John Steinbeck or something. Right. Like, yeah. And so like, yeah, like it just depends whether star Wars kicks around or not. And I like, maybe I'd argue that the relentless strip mining of it, it like seems to diminish. Like I can't speak for you guys, but like I would be perfectly fine. Never fucking seeing another star Wars movie. Where the rest there's of the a diminishing returns on every fucking try. Like, and yeah. I think the globe is getting exhausted. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think, I think there's like just a, like a general apprehension now. They should have stopped after the first two. Like they should have made Star Wars and then they should have made Star Wars Christmas special and then they're done. <laughs> the two perfect films and then the they two, the, the first rest of two are were the only good ones. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the only canon that I care about is <laughs> uh, Star Wars Christmas. What a joy. What a joy. Uh, Um, To go back to what you were saying before, Mike, I just think too, like in terms of that idea of it still being a disease, having like wrestled with it for a long time, I think the difference is like the, like our personal nostalgia, the nostalgia, like that is very essential and crucial for us, like understanding who we are. Whereas like nostalgia that people are trying to indulge for us, is almost always universally bad. Like mm-hmm. no one who is doing that has a good reason for doing that. They're trying to manipulate you and we should be suspicious of it. So you're saying that the Murphy Brown reboot was, uh, <laughs> although that was a victory of feminism. That okay. one was just like, you know, finally, finally Murphy Brown is going no, yeah, it's like, I, w- well, I read this book. Uh, this is a, I guess somewhat tied to nostalgia. I just read that book chaos about the, the Manson murders and how it might be tied to the MK Ultra experiments. Right, right. It's like a real rabbit hole book, but uh, they do talk about the Manson murders quite a bit. And because people talk about that uh, as like, it was when the 60s ended, man. Like it was a be- beautiful, powerful time of love and whatever. And then when that happened, it kind of revealed that we were lying to ourselves, maybe. Mm. Um, but then also, Candace Bergen was living in the house at one point prior to when the Manson murders happened. So it's weird to think of that when you watch Murphy Brown is all, that's what I was trying to get to. (laughs) I I took a little detour to make it about what you, the book, but also that was, wow. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally forgot. We started at Murphy Brown 
until you brought back Candace Bergen. I was like, yeah, Everyone. well, it's kind of weird when you watch Mary Brown, you're like, she was like very affected by those murders. <laughs> so, but that, that's also Bob likes the, that Quentin Tarantino movie that came out last year. No, oh, once the, upon uh, a time in uh, yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't care for it, but I think it's because I was like, Oh, the, he, he seems to be kind of stomping through that well-trodden idea that, yeah, the sixties kind of like there was, there was something beautiful and wonderful about that before the murders happened, mm. you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, no, it was always bad. Like America, if you look back now and be like, you can be like, yeah, it's always terrible. Like it's still tainted by the civil war It's still tainted by slavery. It's we're kind of seeing that now in a, in a beautiful, but terrifying way. Yeah. No kidding. Well, it's such a weird, like, it's like MLK was assassinated in 68. There were like riots, like, you know, it's like Vietnam was ongoing the whole fucking time. Like, what are you guys talking about? But like, yeah, it's like, no, no, no. It was this one hippie in the Hollywood Hills who killed one kind of famous person. And it was like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, mm. it feels like very, well, I think that's part of actually not to ramble too far here, but like the reason I'm a little suspicious of once upon a time in Hollywood too, is that like, yeah, it's like, like for Quentin Tarantino, whose entire frame of reference is what happens in Hollywood, then like, yes, that was six he's over. But, you know, mm. he didn't really convince me that he can view the world without those blinders, I guess. Mm-hmm. is uh, Yeah, not to I'm sure there are plenty of other things to hammer Quentin Tarantino on, like his weird. <laughs> but, you know, that's neither here. That was also. Well, that was the thing that Bob loved about it, too. He loved the foot thing because he shares that fetish. <laughs> wow, Mike, way to out me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Also, uh. Bob got his two ribs removed. That's oh, not for this podcast. <laughs> That's for our other podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. I know oh, you two boy. just met. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Uh, it's OK. Shouldn't, it's good. You should have had being, you know, pop culture aficionados yourself. Be like, you know how anytime you search an actress's name, like the second thing is always feet. It's like, mm. yeah, it's like Margot Robbie, Margot Robbie feet, Margot Robbie age, Margot Robbie husband or something. Just like foot fetish people are thirsty as shit. Like, I, well, they're prolific I not- yeah. yes. on the Internet. I think there's a professional dedication to Googling feet. I haven't noticed that myself, but I have I'm aware of that culture through Twitter. Mm. Because a lot of like the female comedians that I follow will also talk about their wiki feet um, profiles because they're aware that they are being kind of tracked or stalked in that way, which what's, is terrifying. What's wiki feet? Oh, Bob, don't act like you don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. What is that? Is it's, it like LinkedIn uh, for feet? Right, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Well, like you to make a profile and you're like, these are my feet. Here's my foot <laughs> resume. Yes. Look at them. No, it's it's like people basically will make a uh, a website for a usually a woman and mm-hmm. it's like a celebrity and they they make a profile and it's just pictures of their feet. So it's like Oh, and it's not if you they're, want, they're not the host of it. It's like third party oh, people. No. Yeah, yeah. All, <laughs> of course. All the, all the foot folks <laughs> making Domain names and stuff. Um. Uh. Yeah. I guess I don't want to take up too much more of your time, David. But I, we've got a couple more little questions. One. Sure. One thing that I was kind of if, wanted to just get your opinion on was, I mean, we're doing a podcast looking back on old movies and kind of recontextualizing them by kind of smashing them together and mm-hmm. trying to think about things in different ways. But like podcasts as a medium, if you go on the internet 
and just look at all of the new podcasts that come out. Like there's just so many things and it just seems like it's uh, overanalyzing things as niche as it gets, you know, Yeah, yeah. where they're just like, we're going to go through every single episode of this television show by this one creator. And that's our whole podcast concept or whatever, you know? Right. Oh yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I not really that into, I mean, I'd like, I don't know. Like I would almost, I can't think of, uh, many people who I would care at all to listen to even like one podcast episode detailing their career, let alone like a series. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know, like maybe I'm not the audience. Like there's probably some, but to me that it seemed just like this weird uh, elevation of fan culture kind of thing where it's like, you know, you can no longer just like, well, yeah, I, I like the Coen brothers. I'll go see a Coen brothers movie when it comes out. Of course. It's like, no, no, no. My life is, the Coen brothers, my yeah. cats are named Joel and Ethan. And I, you know, it's like, uh, this full on thing. And it's just, like, I don't know, like, which isn't to take, you know, maybe I'd listen to a Paul Verhoeven podcast. I don't know. Oh, nice. But no, but like, I, I also just think, and like, this is revealing my bias is what I try to do is that like, it's way more interesting to try to piece together pop culture, you know, smash it together to see what it's actually trying to say, as opposed to just being like, yeah, Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish, and yeah, it was thirty-four hours of us discussing. Anyway, but like, yeah, I just I I don't know. I don't like, but like, I don't like to read biographies. I don't like to read memoirs, or you know, it's like I just like that's that's not what I'm in it for. And what I like the right. broad histories. I like the you know, context. Context. That's that's what I'm. Well, in for. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because you said yeah. If uh, if I'm watching this TV, this movie, or whatever. It's my life. Like, I feel like so much of pop culture is tied to identity nowadays mm-hmm. where people's identity is like, I'm a gamer or I'm this kind of nerd, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you offend me with you not being of my kind, that being some made up identity that I am just putting all of my eggs in that basket for some reason. Yeah. And even like more so even than just pop culture, but like pop cultural criticism seems to be hiving off into these weird like some of them are just terrible fan things, but some of them are like these very weird, narrow, like almost academic style, like, and here's a Marxist reading of, you know, fucking yes. nine, nine or whatever. And it's yeah. just like, all right, great. Cool. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it seems to be this narrowing that does not interest me at all. Uh, what would it be like if our parents did that kind of thing? Like this is a Marxist reading of Matlock. Like would it kind of <laughs> have the same kind of traction? Well, you know, if our parents did that, they'd get tenure at, you know, an Ivy League school. And True. Then, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And then, and then cut to 30 years later and we're all adjunct professors. <laughs> and we, we can't get that sweet, sweet tenure track. No. That's why we have to start all these podcasts. It's just like, yeah, come on, exactly. you know. But, yeah. Oh, interesting. It's the poor man's um, academia in a way. <laughs> I never thought about it that. We're scholars, Bob. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Somebody's you heard it here it. first, folks. Yeah. Um, cool. Any other thoughts or questions, Bob, you, you had? Well, I feel like we should talk about, um, I mean, obviously, uh, Ready Player One is overtly nostalgic, but we should briefly talk about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, just so. Nice. Um, and Mike and I were just chatting. We were like, that's not really like a nostalgic movie, but in a way it is. It's like made very romantically about an era that is bygone. Yeah. And it's also about a portrait being taken. And I was like, uh, the portrait then is like what 
tattoos are today, which there it's just like a, a symbol made for posterity, but also to remind you of what you once had or were once doing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I want to, yeah. What do you, what are your thoughts? Do you remember the film? Well, Portrait of a Lady on Fire? You probably haven't I seen mean, it for a while. Relatively. I saw it like, I think it was maybe the last movie I saw in theaters before everything went to hell. So, you know, it feels oh, like wow. it was okay. 15 wow. years ago. Um, but like, cause isn't it framed slightly by like the woman remember it? No, no, no. She just shows up. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So oh, yeah. it's in the art class at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She, okay. she is remembering, so, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. Like that's kind of the if Ready Player One is like the crass commercial nostalgia that is like eating us alive, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire is the actual like deep meaningful nostalgia, this overwhelming sense of like wanting to return to this kind of not even perfect moment, but just like deeply meaningful moment. Like obviously mm-hmm. this woman carries that that person with her forever. And naturally she would want that to come back from time to time, you know, like she's still moving on. She's teaching art classes and stuff like that. But like, of course she's going to be like stopped in her tracks and, and want to go back to that, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. that's like, that's the good suckering nature of nostalgia too, is that like, if you don't have these moments, like what are you really to make it existential too? Right. Like, yeah, uh, you are what you remember essentially. God, you're good, David. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Cool. Um, well, I mean, you've been doing, a, you know, I've seen, I've read some interviews with you about this book. I'm very excited to, to actually read it. But uh, do you think that one day you will be nostalgic for the time when you wrote a book? We're constantly nostalgia? talking about nostalgia. <laughs> like, will you look back on this time as just like, oh, yeah, when I had to talk about this a lot? Because there will be a time when you're not talking about nostalgia every day. Right. That's, I mean, Ideally not, actually. Ideally, I'll just like be talking about nostalgia forever until, you know, this will sell like Stephen King levels and I'll just be the fucking nostalgia guy from here on out. That's awesome. Dressed exactly like this. Uh, And no, Um, (laughs) I, the weird thing is it's going to like, this is going to be tied up with all this COVID shit. And like, as much as I know that I will be nostalgic for this, because like, we can't help it. People were nostalgic for the depression. They were nostalgic for the blitz. Like it's, you know, it's like, but, uh, I, right now I just want to say, it's like, no, I'm going to be so happy when this is all fucking over. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I never thought about it that way that, yeah, this was, I mean, this is a trying time for everybody, but yeah, it sucks to have like, um, your, your first kind of success like this, uh, Mm -hmm. dampened by this, not to be a downer or anything, but yeah. But also it's interesting because, yeah, it's going to be like a lens that you have to look back at your past through like, oh, yeah, I had remember when my book came out and it was it's like exciting and fun time. And but then also I couldn't hug people. Uh, Erase that part I said about memoirs earlier. And then like 40 years, I'll write a memoir of letting a nostalgia go book in the midst of all this. And what does it say? Anyway, yeah, that that shit could win a governor general's award. (laughs) Uh, well, this is like a weird time too, because people are, uh, you go to the, to the top movies of the year are Jurassic Park and like Terminator 2 and stuff. And like, it's like a time for people to delve back into what felt makes them feel safe. Yeah, for sure. I guess when the first couple of weeks, when we're all just like, we're not allowed to leave the house at all. So we all just watch stuff. And I'm sure most people just kind of watch stuff they were comfortable with. I know Bob did. He watched a lot of rom-coms. What are you talking about, Mike? 
I'm not a foot guy. I'm a rom-com guy. That's my dirty <laughs> secret. I love rom-coms. Um, I really love rom-com. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Uh, you, your next book should be on rom-coms. <laughs> oh, rom-coms. There you go. The great thing about that title is it works for whatever subject. I'm no confusion, straight to the point. Mm-hmm. You know? um, <laughs> it is interesting, Mike, that like as this pandemic happened because like wasn't it like netflix always shows you like what's top 10 the week Mm -hmm. of or whatever and like i'm pretty sure for the first month it was just like it would be like jurassic park um scent of a woman contagion well that's less nostalgia and more just like i'm afraid of something i want to be more afraid of it so i'm going to watch this thing that's really (laughs) triggering that's why people watch that shit um but it was a lot of like 90s shit it was like a lot of spielberg movies um yeah. and I I was guilty of that. I watched a lot of that stuff. I was watching like I didn't watch a lot of new movies. Now I'm starting to do that because we have this like new normal, but yeah, that first month I feel like everyone just like reverted to the 90s. Well, but so here's the, the really weird case. thing. As obvious as like now, like of course people are going to be all nostalgic now and like watching their favorites. Like I think it was in the year 2018 or 2019. It's that this is in the book, but like The Office accounted for like Eight percent of all Netflix viewing was mm-hmm. people wow. watching the American Office, and like with friends, I think it was like fourteen or fifteen percent alone was just people watching. People watched enough Office for every single U.S. subscriber to have watched two full seasons of it. So it's like Netflix is partly this nostalgia machine for sure, like because yes. it's just like you're overwhelmed by choice and it'll be like, Hey, watch this again. And you'll be like, sure. And you start and then it just keeps auto playing it. And you're like, well, I'm two seasons in now. I better watch the whole thing again. And uh, yeah, I think all, all the streaming services are doing that, right? Like Disney with their animations, like you can watch all their old school shit on Disney uh, plus. Um, yeah. I think streaming's massive just because accessibility is right in front of you. Well, also, yeah, I was, it's all kind of AI based too, because they use algorithms to figure out what we're interested in. But if we just watch old stuff, then Netflix is like, well, the algorithm saying this thing is good. So let's remake this show, mm-hmm. which makes sense. But it's also kind of the computers aren't smart enough to know that they, we want something new that's like that. They're just like, no, let's just make something similar. Right, right. They need the that's, Steve Jobs to be like, I'll tell you what you want to watch. Exactly. I want someone <laughs> to tell me what to watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what you know want before you know what you want. And anyway, yeah, there you go. It's interesting when you were talking about the Netflix thing, Bob, about how the, they had all of just the different movies that were from the nineties. Well, I was going to say like once things kind of happened in a couple of months past or whatever, and now we're, now we're in the, the new normal, which is people being mad about masks and masks is the big talk talking point. Mm-hmm. Um, why is the mask not trending <laughs> <laughs> or son uh, of the mask, I guess. Oh shit. Good Why question. Why is 1980s cartoon mask not trending? Like yes. <laughs> no, that doesn't show up in Ready Player One. Anyway, I was, I was trying to bring it back. The, the Cher movie uh, with Eric Stoltz mask, that's not in Ready Player One either. <laughs> Can you imagine? They have like heart-wrenching dramas. And <laughs> like, like people are picking avatars from just like the most depressing dramatic films of the Schindler's 80s. List, the girl with like the red coat or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. You're oh, like driving a, like a race car and trying to get money or whatever. 
Oh, that'd be crazy. But also, that'd be it's all nostalgia, that be right? Better. See, that's art. That's the Ready Player One. That's art. It's it'd like, be cool to see like uh, Eraserhead, the David Lynch film, like that character in the Ready Player One universe. Like somebody picks. I mean, there'd be cinephiles playing the game. Who, yeah. who like you know are these really niche characters i don't know like i can see it happening that's a fault of spielberg and the author that's on that well uh thanks for being on the pod for sure thanks for yeah, really thanks, appreciate David. it um where where can we get your book where can people find your book and buy it is available at all your favorite online outlets um you know uh, i don't know where you're listening to this from but you know indigo amazon Barnes and Noble. The best way to buy it, though, of course, is from either your local independent bookseller or the Coach House Books website itself, which mm-hmm. is uh, just search for Coach House Books uh, on Google. And the second thing will be Coach House Books feet. And uh, there you go. <laughs> you know, click that uh, link, and you're good. <laughs> no, but seriously, Coach uh, House Books. Buy it direct from there. It's 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 a wonderful place. Nice. Yeah, Sweet. I got, I ordered it from Coach House and it, the shipping was virtually free and it arrives very fast. <laughs> That's great. In these COVID times, you can never trust the mail unless they're sending you books, right? So Exactly, yeah. Well, thanks so much. Um, Thank you, and is there a website uh, and a wiki feed that you have that you would like to promote? <laughs> wiki feed. My wiki feed is David wiki feed. <laughs> no, uh, uh, my website is the davidberry.com, but the Instagram is at on nostalgia and my Twitter is pleasure motors. Right. Yes. I like to, people always like to have a, you know, one word for everything. And I'm like, no, 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 it's time to let's confuse people. Your Instagram is very active. <laughs> well, I find like relentless self-promotion these days. So, you know. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's entertaining. It's my only escape from child rearing. Well, uh, thank you very much for being on the, the pod. We really appreciate it. We're excited to read the book. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, David. And it's nice meeting you, too. Nice to meet you, too. I look forward yeah. to listening to the episode now. Not my parts, like the other other parts of the episode. Do you want us to send you a supercut of just you speaking? <laughs> we can, we can do that for awesome. you. Maybe just like all my like stutters and ums. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We definitely, we, we do that big time. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I personally edit every episode and I cut out all of my weird uh, vocal tics. And then he leaves leave, mine in to make him right. look better. I leave, yeah, I leave Bob's in because they don't irritate me. Only mine irritate me for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks so much, David. Thank you. Yeah, guys. thanks. To, yeah, super fun. Hopefully, I'll see you in real life at some point in the next three years. That's yeah. the dream. Yeah. <laughs> okay. See you. All right. See you. Bye. So that was our conversation with uh, David Barry. Um, please, please buy his book. He's very thoughtful, very funny. He's intelligent, uh, as you just heard. He is smarter than Mike and I. I mean, oh, by a by a long he's, shot. Yeah, he's a he was a he's a good guest. What, what a get! What a f- great first guest, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. So we'll try to keep guests coming as well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we, yeah, I, th- I think that's the end of this episode. We felt that that conversation was kind of a nice way to wrap up the whole conversation between, 
um, Portrait of Lady on Fire and uh, Ready Player One. Yeah, David's comments really spelled out how those movies are the same movie, Mm -hmm. which is the conceit of the podcast. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Be sure to go and check out our social media profiles. We got Twitter. We got Instagram. Email us at from Justin to Kane at gmail.com. All of those words are words. None of them is the number two. But all of our social mm-hmm. media has the number two as instead of the word two, if that makes sense. I think that was clear. Uh-huh. Uh, and then also, inspired by our conversation with Dave, we're going to also start a from Justin to Kane wiki feet profile. So come and check out uh, our profile. It's like the only place to get sweet, sweet official from Justin to Kane. Uh, fetish pics of me and Bob's feet. Yeah, and you can guess whose feet is is whose. Um, and we'll try to keep that updated. We'll probably post more more often on that than we do our actual <laughs> podcast. So yeah, buckle up. Um, we just, I'm going to be gonna, spearheading that project. We're just going to transition from a um, podcast just to a, just purely going into Wiki feet. Yeah, and we'll have photos of our feet for sale as well on our website. Yeah. Um. So. Enjoy. Enjoy. That's all I, I can guess. say. Yeah. Bon appetit. Try and guess whose foot is who because we're both landlords and we both probably have very similar looking feet. What size are your feet, Mike? 11. And mine are 9. So. Oh, really? Your feet are smaller we'll than see. I expected. I got little baby shrimp feet. Yeah. You totally, you totally do have cute little baby shrimp feet. You heard it here, folks. Mike thinks my baby shrimp feet uh-huh. are cute. I will say, let me just get this off my chest. I the, the feet are the le- are my least favorite part of the human body. And that's why I love them. Oh, I see. I have a complicated <laughs> relationship with them. <laughs> I was wondering where that was going. Anyway, thanks but for I, listening I, I, to the episode everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh fuck. Uh all right. We've been from Justin to feet and uh, we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Oh shit. <laughs>